but you still need to nurture those other leads that are quality because they're tomorrow's sales and a lot of them don't get that. Well, welcome to Talking Property and um, what a great day it is <laughs> here. Uh, it's still summer, although you wouldn't know it outside and we're in Paran, so uh, we're right in the centre of Paran. So sometimes when we do these podcasts, we hear um, cars, trucks, whatever, but uh, that's part of it, just uh, being being in the vibe, being in the centre. And I have a you know, an enviable cast with me today <laughs> <laughs> and I've got Sonia Fava and Baker. And Mark Polisco. Now, Mark doesn't come out very often. We usually have to do our podcasts. <laughs> no, because you do. You like to um, do a lot of writing of a night and early morning and sleep during the day. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, you, I'm a victim of work. I've worked for myself too long, so I've been a bit spoiled with that. So I'm a bit indulgent. When I'm tired, I just roll over and sleep. But then when I go and meet people, I... Um, have to plan ahead. So yes. happy to be here though. It's good. So we're making the most of having you here today <laughs> because um, Mark thought he was just coming to meet and greet, but we said, nope, you're coming into this podcast. And right. uh, yeah, because uh, what we're going to talk about, because I thought you'd be um, helpful with it, is we've got Sonia and and both gurus in that sort of marketing space and also the sales space in property um, development. And they've worked with, you know, a roll call of developers and um, you know it's just what are the trends now that actually get properties to market to get noticed because you know it's a very busy space so maybe let's start Sonia just give us a bit of your background. Well thanks for having me on the panel today Suzanne I'm a very excited and it's so lovely to meet Anne and Mark finally to put a face to all those articles I've read over the years. It's uh, a pleasure to meet you too. Yeah, but Mark, you know, you can now tell him, which, you know, you'd hate when you'd read his articles. He used to say flats instead of oh, apartments. Yeah, yes, yes, oh, yes. that's okay. I don't hold that against him. <laughs> Look, with regards to my career, it's predominantly sales and marketing. I started off in real estate uh, many years ago and it's taken me across a number of different industries, including the beauty and cosmetics industry, uh, but I'm back in property and, and love property. That's uh, where my heart is. And it definitely has changed over the years uh, with regards to how people are buying property, how developers have had to market property, especially off the plan property. Um, and the space is very aggressive and competitive. So to stand out has um, definitely seen some agents and developers thinking outside of the box with their marketing. From a sales perspective, I found that the biggest trend that's occurred over the years is the buyers are just so savvy these days with the internet and the information, journalists like Mark, providing feedback. Uh, people are really educated and doing their research. So your product has to back itself. Uh, it also needs to reflect what the consumer is actually asking and demanding. And if it doesn't, developers really need to pay attention to that. Otherwise, their product just doesn't sell or meet or meet the market. So I think, yeah, the, the knowledge and the research that's available to buyers is the biggest the biggest trend changer in my opinion because you need to cater for that when you're marketing a product. Now, um, Anne Baker, she is the founder and um, director of Two Crowns Marketing. Uh, and you, you took that plunge and uh, it's been well worthwhile. Just take us on the journey. Yeah, so I started Two Crowns uh, six years ago as a way to provide 
property developers with <laughs> property developers with an advisory service that may not be available to them um, if they are smaller to medium-sized developers that don't have a fully-fledged in-house marketing department. Um, we've also done a lot of work with large developers that have very specialist requirements um, in the lead up to um, project launches or really specific advisory um, requirements. It's been a fabulous way um, to enjoy the property industry in another way um, after being working in corporate for sort of 20 years or so uh, now to be actually at the coalface working with a whole range of developers. It's been really, I would say, it's been really another exciting chapter of my career, which has almost been a rebirth of my passion in marketing and in the property sector. So, Mark, you've also taken a bit of a career change going from... Couple, yeah, a couple. Yes. <laughs> Take us uh, just, you know, how where you started then being the journalist, which you still are, but with Fairfax and now out on your own. Yeah, well, I started in commercial agency, so I started with Richard Ellis, um, 1999. So I spent six years at three different commercial agencies um, in, in, in the research department, but we, which meant that we kind of worked with the valuations department, the sales department, leasing a bit of everything with developers as well. And then, um, yeah, 2005 came and I was thinking about going and working for a property consultancy or I was presented with this job at Fairfax Media and I was, I, I, I liked the opportunity to do something with media because you get to actually report it for what it is. You don't have to com compete for clients, impress clients, the rest of it. Um, so I did that, worked from home for, or worked from the road for 13 years, which was great. But then, yeah, I guess in, in that 13 years, it was also the period that there was a major change in the way of, of how people started marketing. So when I first started, classifieds were a river of gold you had to be in the age you know the advertisers wouldn't dare get upset at a journalist because you know but by the time I ended it was quite the opposite it was like you know we have to try and impress our customers these are advertisers this kind of thing so it kind of reversed that way so and also just from when I was speaking with agents and developers the relevance of print became a lot less relevant the first towards the end of my career with the age it was um the first 10 meetings of the uh, first 10 minutes of meetings were people saying this is not effective we're not getting the results we're not getting the hits it's a waste of money we'd rather spend three print ads and put it into something online that's something a bit better. So um, I finished my marketing degree, I finished my commerce degree in 1999. There was no mention of internet at all in my marketing degree. So I'm interested talking to you because mm -hmm. this whole new internet is a whole new mm -hmm. way of, of marketing. And um, what I'm actually seeing in practice is that the um, developers are focusing their money away from print and into online a lot more. Yeah. And you'd find that because of real estate source that you've set up, it's now become where they're giving you the stories, the scoops. Yeah, and then they'll get followed up in print a couple of days later. So print doesn't set the momentum anymore. It's um, it's online, and then print just follows. And that's actually discounting the value of print. Like you can't, I, you know, if you read a newspaper and everything in there is published two or three days ago, I think they're kind of devaluing that. But um, the reality is that if something's online, if something's online on my website or on some other website, it's free, it's available all the time, you know, with print, it gets thrown out that day. So what you were saying before about people doing research, wanting to see what properties sold for, what values are, they'll just go into Google and find it. So I think that um, the advertisers and developers are seeing that it's a lot more valuable to have things in online rather than to, rather than to target print anymore. And it's the SEOs too, because sometimes things are behind that wall if you're not a subscriber, which yeah. you know, is another, whereas the online ones you can get but selling it and marketing it how have you found that Anne? Yeah so um, just on point with what you were saying Mark um, 
What we're finding in the marketing space is that purchasers are, as you say, savvy, very savvy and switched on. They know how to read a floor plan. They know their pricing. What we're also starting to see now is cause-related influences coming in. So this morning I had a meeting with a developer that said, you know, I want this campaign to be sustainable. I want it to be environmentally friendly. I don't want a brochure that's printed. I want something that's digital. Um, So ethical um, concerns are now part of our um, brief. Um, Not saying for every developer, but definitely some of the smaller ones and perhaps some of the larger ones that are resourced enough to um, take a step um, outside the traditional So we really are having to keep up with the times, keep ahead of the times, and it's not just the product we're selling anymore and the sexy image, it's about the good decisions and the cultured decisions that sit behind that. How does that go, Sonia, when you have someone that wants to buy an apartment from a sales perspective with, because I know, with the brochure, do they look for that brochure, the glamorous brochure, or or is it changing? It is changing. I completely agree with you, Anne. And I don't mind not having a printed brochure, to be honest. I have always questioned how many people actually read it from cover to cover. Uh, I think that the information that people want is bite-sized and relevant. So they want to know the floor plans, the fixtures and fittings. They do want to know about the developer, their values, uh, whether the development is eco-friendly, etc., etc. So they've got a list of requirements. Does the brochure help them find that information? Not necessarily because they've got so many platforms and mediums that they can get that information from. What I'm finding is gone are the days where you could actually sell the dream off a floor plan uh, and the and the purchaser would buy it just off that floor plan. Now they want to see an interactive display suite, mm. uh, digital marketing drawings. You know, so it doesn't need to be in a brochure per se. But there are other demands that they mm. expect as a as a minimum requirement. Uh, so, yeah, there's a there's a there's a cross a cross section of of how you deliver that information to the purchaser. Now, we've talked about um, you know, the difference of what they want and, and also the brochure. What about the buyers out there? You said they're more savvy, but have we gone from the investor to the, you know, the downsize of the owner-occupier? Is there a change in what they're looking mm-hmm. for? Mark, have you found that um, you know, as far as what's available out there as product, is there more owner-occupier to choose from or? Yeah, there certainly has been. Since the downturn a couple of years ago, since the 2017 bust, that's certainly <laughs> been the mantra of the developers. That's right. That, um, that the investors have kind of backed off now and that the owner-occupiers are now leading the market. And so that's why you're seeing developers now that are proposing larger department, larger apartments, more livable apartments, you know, just something that's not, that's not um, they're, they're adjusting to, to what the market is. So yeah, I have I have read that and I have heard that from a lot of agents over the time that the owner occupier market is driving it at the moment, but it's it's cyclical. I think that it won't be it won't won't be long before the investors come back. But that's a different sell too, isn't it? If you've got the penthouse or the larger apartment, it takes longer to sell. Anne and yeah, um, I'm just stepping in on on that commentary as well. I I believe that the shift in the market from 
uh, investor to owner occupier has actually been good medicine for developers, especially ones that are less principled um, and are having to think about keeping true to their word that what's in the brochure, um, that what people sign on for is actually what's delivered, um, that they do provide quality products within reason. I think that a lot of, it's cleared through a lot of clutter in the market and regardless of the cycles, I think that that's been a good shift for a lot of projects that I've personally been involved with um, over the past 18 months. Yeah. And Richard Wynn also made some legislative changes, I think, he regarding did, planning. Yes. So you can't yep. have things like um, shared light, like you can't have a room with no windows that uses the window from the next room. All these really interesting... Minimum spacing yeah. uh, um, yeah. floor plans for apartments. That's great. Like, um, yeah, I think it did get... A, mm. my, my gut feel is that a couple of years ago, it probably did get a little bit tight what they mm. were building and they just approved everything and the developers would obviously take what they could get. So I'm glad that it's the, 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 the standard mm. of... It's sort of like on the full cycle though because um, it was probably about um, you know, 20-odd years ago that you were never allowed to have a bedroom without um, a window it had to be called a plus one then wow. suddenly that crept in and mm. now it's gone back so wow. it's sort of everything well, that, you one that I find interesting when I was growing up or 20 years ago if you built an apartment complex there had to be one 1.3 car parks or whatever it is per apartment now it's quite the opposite the councils will actively yeah. approve zero car parks you know in a project because it's sustainable environmentally friendly so the developers are laughing in a way because it's cheaper not to build car mm. parks and so where do a, those cars go? Yeah, that's right. Well, public transport's where we get told <laughs> yes, to go. And so yeah. you kind of hope that everything works at the same time. But I'm a bit like you. I'm a bit like, oh, everyone, I, I imagine that everyone, you know, people still need cars to pick up these people who live in apartment complexes. Off so. topic, but when you're parking car parks, now have you found they've got a lot smaller? Yes. Even yeah. out in the, in the public yeah. spaces. It's not your yeah. parking, it's the car park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Right. And lanes as well. I think lanes in Sydney are a touch smaller than Melbourne too. So when oh. I'm driving there, I'm feeling a bit tighter. So there is – and, yeah. yeah How do you sell a no-car park? I was just going to mention that, Suzanne. The no-car park brings up a couple of discussions for me. A lot of other major cities around the world do offer apartments without car parks because they are accustomed to relying on public transport systems and not needing a car. In Australia, we still like our car. We travel on the weekends, uh, you know, we have families and we haven't really caught up to that inner city way of life where we are totally unreliant on a vehicle. Uh, There are more bikes and, and and more public transport options but I think the Australian public still want that car space. Whether they use the car or not is irrelevant. That They want it. To, to answer your question, to sell an apartment without a car space is a lot more difficult. I think to move apartments without car spots, they need to be priced accordingly and attractively. Um, and look, they, they, they may meet somebody's uh, need of not needing to have a car space, but resale value and things like that, people do still look for a car space. So I think we're still a little bit behind with completely, uh, you know, a, a eliminating a car spot as an option. Yeah. They have put in bike racks yeah. and a scooter car spaces yeah. and things like that in developments, I think, which is a really good transition. Uh, but I don't think we're quite there yet. 
I'm not too yeah. sure. No, I agree. I know lots of people who have no cars, yeah. but they'll only buy an apartment with a car park Correct. for the security of being yeah. able, for an exit strategy. Correct. So we need to probably change that mentality of the family. And you're right, in Europe and Italy, where I'm from, it, exactly. no one has cars and it's, 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 and it's perfectly, and it's perfectly normal. Yep. And down That's here, right. for some reason, you, it's, it's yeah. penalised. So that has to be a change in the mindset over the next generation. Agreed. I think. Yeah, before we can totally eliminate that as an I option. won't be leading it because I drive everywhere. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> And um, how do you go with the marketing dollar? For example, you're talking to your developer, your client and that, and you know what it takes to run a good campaign that you're putting your name to it, two crowns, and how do you like get the value because I suppose it's like an architect too. They do the design and the developer says, oh, well, we can't afford that when we price it up. So does it still have the architect's name to it because they've had to pull so much away? What what do you do? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's certainly the answer to that is not one size fits all um, because we know that every project, every developer is, is different. One really important element and our ideal is to be engaged while the design is still being completed so that we can have a voice in terms of um, what's what's marketable, obviously working in concert with the sales team and, and the developer. And then as we go informing um, our thoughts around the marketing strategy, but also around the potential costs. Um, some developers are just fabulous because they engage a quality architect and through that they understand what it costs for good design and good output. The tougher ones come when clients just don't share the value of good marketing and they see their product as being better than what it actually is um, and that feel that if they just put it to market then it's going to sell. Um, so I think getting back to your question, a lot of it gets back to our advisory reasoning, providing them with examples of previous developers, unnamed of course, but where we can talk about the um, the marketing dollar in comparison to the, the gross revenue of the project. That's a really effective way to communicate that. Um, how much or in another way, market it cost for marketing per apartment or per lot. Um, and so we show them industry standards of what's really good versus what's at the base level. And sometimes, it's only happened a few times, um, we've exited um, a relationship because we just don't want to put our name to a project that doesn't have those markers of integrity. Mm. Yeah. If I can add to that, and a couple of takeaways from uh, your discussion just then, the collaboration between sales and marketing is so crucial. Uh, a lot of companies, uh, developers, and not intentionally, don't bring those two sectors together and they absolutely must work hand in hand. They are a partnership, they're a marriage, they, they really do rely on one another. So for the marketers not to discuss or include the sales team in the planning process is not then going to get the output and the results that the sales team need to achieve. It's so great yeah. to hear you saying that yeah. because that's how I view it. And even yep. the, the, the conversation around brochures, if a developer was to say um, – I want to go environmental and I don't want um, I don't want brochures, printed brochures at all. I would look at the sales team and say, well, what about you? How do you feel about selling this without a brochure? Is there a middle ground that we can reach here? Correct. And they might say, no, brochure's not required, which is 
backing up my point before, but we still need A, B, C, D assets and they might be handouts or they might be visual aids uh, yeah, or yeah, or whatever. So not a, not a printed brochure per se, um, but it's about having those discussions with them. So then you're not um, meeting the developer's requirement of no brochure, but then disabling your sales team by not actually being able to sell the project. And then the in relationship the way. becomes yeah. hostile because the salesperson isn't earning yeah. a commission from sales and you know, I've learned right. that. Mm. I've learned that the hard way. Yeah. And um, I always want to have the sales team on side. Yeah, it's good yeah. to hear that. And the other way, uh, the other takeaway that I took from uh, your discussion points there, Anne, was not having a, a cookie cutter approach to marketing budgets, marketing campaigns, and advice to developers. Because I do feel that, um, yes, there is a, a template and probably a structure that you base your skeleton strategies on that do work and they're tried and tested. But unless you're actually looking at those projects individually, the areas, the demographics, the type of buyers, and you analyse like the actual type of buyer that you're trying to attract, um, sometimes that template that you know and love and use isn't going to work. Um, I think sometimes there's... Um, exuberant marketing budgets put together um, where you know you tick off all of the list of things of where you should be to advertising whether it's print um, social whatever the platforms are it can cost developers hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars but it actually doesn't need to be that much or it's it should be that much money but proportioned to a specific medium that's relevant to that project and that's where mm. I think Anne that sounds mm. like you do that mm. and that's probably why you get the results that you do and the trust and the loyalty that's built with your developers. Mm. Thank mm. you and look being a consultancy our um, success relies on uh, for new projects relies on successful results achieved through previous projects which is all the things that you've been saying, collaboration, working together, sales tools that will actually do the job um, to sell the product to the customer. That's right. Mm. So when you get uh, talk about the advertising budget and you just alluded to it before, Sonia, so you've got how much the developer thinks that they want to spend and we have you know the usual that comes down the line. Now, is that good enough these days? Is it trying to convince them or how hard is it to convince them to go for that online or that other media? What, where's, where does the best um, advertising dollar get spent? Well, I'll jump in and I'll say that um, most developers, most sales, um, sales teams want to do the online um, for all the reasons that we've, we've touched on. I would also say to a developer or to a sales team, Please don't put all of your eggs in the digital basket because not everybody consumes information in the same way. I would agree with that. Yeah. So so things like at the start of a project, um, I would always recommend to a developer, especially if they were one that had a pipeline of future projects, announce your project to the market, put it in um, a publication. So, you know, you, you might be talking the Herald Sun, The Age, The Fin announce that to market even if it's in the first week or two weeks then go online think about direct mail think about um, outdoor signage all of these things I view them as layers if you just go for digital that is one dimensional 
if you have a range of different media, you're capturing people at different points throughout. And they all complement each other. So yeah, they all tell slightly different stories. Yeah. So that would be, and that seems to be the more common conversation that I have when I'm advising around um, advertising campaigns. Um, please don't start it with digital, 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 um, because it's it's a limited um, it's a limited discussion. Yeah. And uh, you brought up a point, Sonia, which was a bugbear of mine that when you're talking about digital, 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 there are so many different people that come on top of one another that you think you have to have, yet they're doubling up and they're paying, some people are paying a lot more for what they think they need because it's really just duplicate or it's because you don't understand what they're actually selling in that digital space. So, so last year, for example, because the market was tough, um, we saw developers and you know high spending developers doubling up on things like domain.com and rea just to get the same amount of leads that they would normally through one Um, so there was a lot of duplication last year Um, it was a pretty dire time in the market so um, at those points in time those rules might change and you might put your foot a little heavier on that digital uh, pedal um, and you might duplicate, but the general rule is try not to. I would agree with that. Uh, with the the pressures of the downturn in the market of the last couple of years, definitely saw a scarcity in buyers and agents and developers. Correct. We're bumping up their online exposure on the typical real estate platforms, uh, but that's not where the leads or the buyers were coming from. There were still buyers around, um, so I actually withdrew advertising on those platforms, which was a bit risky, and the developers were a little bit nervous at the time because, um, you know, we weren't perceived as being seen or in the marketplace. But that money that was being used for those real estate platform costs were redirected into exactly what you said and before, old-fashioned direct mailers or inserts into the local paper or it was redirected. So the marketing budget was still spent but in a different way which did attract the buyers that we were trying to target which ultimately resulted in sales. So it's about analysing your costs per lead. And if there is a medium that is costing you two or $300 to get one inquiry and it's not even converted to a face-to-face or something like that, then you could definitely be looking at other options to spend that money more effectively. Yeah. Is there a rule of thumb of how much it costs per lead? How long is a piece of string? <laughs> no, no, I've, I've just actually prepared my – I prepare them monthly for my advertisers with the yes. number of impressions and number of leads that they get and they go up every single month. So I've had one client that I've just sent in um, overnight. So they had 350 leads on one campaign for a month, which I'm told is quite high for for the spend that it was. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested in knowing in knowing that as well. But from my understanding, I used to – I understand REA is the leader, which is real commercial in, in commercial real estate's number two – um, I was always told 90% to REA and then 10% to the balance. So I'm interested to see now how there's um, – <clears throat> if there's going to be some more spotlight. Like in America, it's not just led by two websites. It's led by a few in there. So I think that hopefully down here that might start happening. And, and are we a big enough market to do that? Um, we could be. We're rising population. We're, 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 we're building. We're not, we're not stopping. When I was growing up, we didn't have enough water for more than 23 million people. Now I think we're, we're forecasting for 40 million people. So I think that we'll – 
we'll, we will keep rising. Um, but, uh, you know, you're going to have to look to countries similar sizes to ours to see where we'll probably be. So, yeah. Compared to REA um, and that you were talking about, you offer more perhaps a personal service, Mark, don't you? Because, I mean, the developers <laughs> and that, they feel that they can just text you or give you a call or Yeah, well, it was interesting email. what you were saying about sponsor content because I offer sponsor content, but I do it in a, in a very different way. It's like you're not going to see the content. I'm going to write it. This is the angle that I'm going to do. I'll include you in – I'll ask you some Q&As and we can do this. So I did a sponsored content for a developer um, that was building something and I actually did it on the suburb which was Geelong. So we did a big focus piece on Geelong and we talked about all the supply and demand and all other developments and all these things and then the developer got their section in one of the new developments. So that's actually one thing that I'm, I'm finding developers and, and advertisers are very happy to do. Like this advertiser was very happy to be in there even though they were only 10% of the story. They were all the pictures. So you start getting more and, I, and this is something that I say. I, I often will commit to sponsored content pieces knowing that when it gets to be written, if I'm not happy with it, if I think it reads too much like an ad or if I think that their readers are going to be, they'll, they'll just pull it. But I do read, then go and read on other newspapers just copy and paste to suppress releases. It doesn't do their websites any favours, I don't think. Now, we know that it is sponsored content and that it's a bit of fluff, really, rather than an angle. Do the buyers out there know, do you think? It's not marked as much as what it used to be. Sponsored mm. content used to actually be marked as That's sponsored right. content. Yeah. It's not happening that much anymore. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've actually, when I was in print, it used to do sponsored content that wasn't marked as that. And um, there's a website... I'm happy to say it. it's called Como and it's owned by the, the, uh, Schwartz Media and they just copy and paste press releases with no reference. So it comes through as editorial. I reckon that's really um, low standards because consumers will read that. They'll read this press release from an agent, believe that it's from a property website. Um, so I think that there probably needs to actually be some standards. Someone needs to go in there and... and and, and, and quality control. Yeah, I think so. That's it. right. Because you got develop some developers will really exploit that. But what the bigger point is it doesn't do them any favours. Like if I read something on a on a website that's an ad like that, I'll remember the agent's name and I'll remember the developer's name and I'll think twice next time I come across them. And I think that a lot of client a lot of people are getting like that now. That's my fi- mm. my feeling. Well, yeah. I have to say that um, looking at um, you know leads and inquiries coming in um, as part of a campaign, one thing that really always rocks is quality PR and we almost always when we have a great editorial advertorial piece um, we get or the sales team report might be two or three but you know solid gold inquiries uh, because people read that as this isn't the developer this is the newspaper say in in that example endorsing this product and I'm a huge believer, and I, I don't believe that that will ever go out of fashion. Um, and wherever we can get it um, is is valuable. The work that you know that you do, that we've done together, Suze and Mark. Um, you won't remember me, but there are stories of plenty that we've pitched to you over the years. Oh no! I hope I haven't ignored you. you. No, that's <laughs> like, no, no, you've been great because I've also worked in commercial industrial. So, oh, okay. So um, there's been quite a few, and whenever it's whenever you're kind. Um, it's re- worked really well for oh, us. Oh no! I've, I, well, uh, yeah, I'm. Um, it's all right, Mark. That's your job. You did it well. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a bit. I'm a bit better now. Yeah, I think when I first started, I did get a little bit stressed. Um, yeah, with how with how it was. You do get a lot of editorial come. There'll be sometimes yeah. that, and then people follow up on things all the time. So you'll get the emails and people will follow up and. Um, 
But I yeah. think that comes back to backing your product, backing, you know, what you're marketing. I think I love advertorials. I think it's, uh, it is to a consumer that's reading it um, – it's like backup it's like support of what you're trying to communicate there's a third person writing it in this instance market it be yourself talking about the product yes there's an ad at the bottom but it somehow gives the project street cred to the consumer and that's what I think I was sort of referencing before about people doing their own research so what you want to do is to be able to control that message in some way where it's integrity and it's and it is being um, I guess monitored somehow I think that's very difficult to do that but with a with a I guess a a time frame where everything's given reviews I mean you go to a restaurant you review it you go to a hotel you review it you know projects get reviewed everything gets reviewed and that's what people are selling is each other like they will believe Mm -hmm somebody's review on the internet before they believe the salesperson's, right? So, well, that's my perception. I think people kind of sometimes the salesperson's just the person that's trying to push their product onto you. But I think even the way salespeople are are perceived these days, they're not really that anymore. They're customer service people. They're, They're representatives. Yes, they'll help you close the deal. But if they're not backing themselves with, you know, integrity um good customer service they get reviewed as well so even even um sales teams are getting reviews so i think being authentic as a salesperson transparent and honest um you will get sales results automatically because you're dealing with people Mm. so the product is somebody's potential home or investment. I mean, tenants are getting even more savvy now of what they'd like to live in. Um, You know, they'd like floorboards as opposed to carpet and tiles. Like, so developers are now putting those sorts of things in as standard features, whereas they used to be optional upgrades. So the the market just isn't to the buyer. It's also to the end user. So, yeah, just a few little discussion points in there that we could probably go on about but I'm very passionate about because yeah salespeople aren't really salespeople anymore. When they talk about salespeople and marketing people we all have our chain in it we spoke that coming in early you've got the strategy you're coming along with a developer you're giving them advice they've got the kit and all of that yet you know the sales aren't coming in so when do you throw that strategy out that knee-jerk reaction how do you when do you stay with that strategy and when do you throw it out or change direction? Well, I guess you've got to get back to have a look at a couple of fundamentals when things aren't working. So you're going to go back and revisit pricing. You're going to have a look at your product. And now it's not always easy to um, change your product. You'll be at a certain point in a project where the developer can't change it. Um, you'll be looking at your marketing strategy or your your go-to-market strategy and are we advertising in the right places? Is the message right? Are we targeting the right geographical areas? If you look at those fundamentals and you address them, chances are you'll get movement, especially pricing sometimes. You just need to have a few yeah sacrificial apartments or yeah. lots and that you know you get the momentum underway. Sometimes it's the sales team. 
And I was just going to say that that's definitely part of the process. That's probably where I would start first. We're, we're really <laughs> – something's happening in Mount Street today. We're not quite sure outside. <laughs> construction, Sue. Construction. We like construction. Or demolition, we're not sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sales teams. Well, that, that's probably where I would start first, to be honest, um, to make sure uh, that the leads that are being gen- generated are being followed up, are being quantified, that there is – feedback from the salespeople about those leads that are coming in and then yes like Anne suggested if there was price objections if there was um, lack of market acceptance for the product and things like that then you can work back into the marketing strategy there have been situations where there's been plenty of leads come through and the salespeople haven't capitalized on those opportunities Mm -hmm. then you need to look at your team and training and you know, staffing. Um, so I think it's mm. important to reflect all stages. And we certainly don't go, it's marketing's fault. Uh, well, <laughs> That's the, the first thing the salespeople well, will I, do. I've been but I don't, where the developer I don't, says it's the sales and marketing's yeah, fault. It's, it's sales, our fault. Sales blames marketing, yeah. marketing blames sales. I, I choose to take a holistic approach and, and oh look God, at the whole no, thing. No, yeah. it was always Mark Polisco's <laughs> fault from that article he wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, well, we'll just start saying it's your <laughs> fault. No, but honestly, it's yeah, it's not constructive to place blame. It's about analysing mm. what's going on because the figures and mm. the performance will, will speak volumes. Mm. One thing, one, one interesting conversation often between sales and marketing is when you put a campaign out there and the sales team say, yeah, yeah, we got 100 leads, but um, they're not quality leads. So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm white-knuckled <laughs> under the, the table. <laughs> Can you talk me through what's not quality and what it is that you expect? That's a really challenging conversation. And I understand your <laughs> frustration. Um, I, I do believe, and this is a generalisation, but generally when salespeople say, yes, I've received 100 leads, but they're not quality leads – I think what my sales team are telling me is that they're not hot, ready to buy right now. That doesn't mean that they're not quality leads, okay? So in a salesperson's mind, I think if they had quality leads, they're talking about conversion. These people are ready, they're ready to sign on the dotted line right now. So again, it's about training and educating the sales team that there is a buying cycle. And people can come into the buying cycle at all different stages. They may inquire today, but actually not commit to a contract until two or three months down the track. And I try to explain to the sales team, well, yes, we want instant gratification and instant results, and we can certainly weed those out, but you still need to nurture those other leads that are quality because they're tomorrow's sales. And a lot of them don't get that. They want the instant gratification, which doesn't make sense to me because these people are working six to 12 months on selling a project. Mm. So you'd want to capitalise on all the leads um, and that's where your CRM programs come Mm. in, your customer relationship management programs. And if you do build relationships with your inquiry, and this is where I go back to before, which might make more sense about nurturing and giving the client customer service, then they actually trust you and they will come back and buy when they're ready because they will take the information that they've given, they'll go around and shop to all your competitors, their customer experience won't be as good as yours if you're doing the right thing and the product won't compare. 
So they will come back to you and that's what you want them to do. And if you're building a relationship with them and checking in on them and seeing how they're going with everything, then it's almost just easy for them to to re-approach you. So I think that quality lead argument, yeah, I definitely get them to quantify to me what they mean by that. Any lead, I think, will be a qual- can be converted into a quality, even if, if they're um, bothered it's a to couple do of it. years off. It's yeah. just investing in that relationship Absolutely. and building trust, informing them over the keeping. A re- I do that with agents. You know, I'll, I'll, often there'll be no stories to discuss, but if I see something they might be interested in, you'll follow them up. It's so just forging a relationship. Exactly, Mark. So if you killed every relationship because it didn't give you an instant yeah. story straight away, I think you'd run out of things to write yeah. about pretty quickly. Like no, exactly. because everyone's cycle is different, and the buyer cycle. Is really so, Anne. That's some advice I can give you to tell your sales team. Thank you. What do you mean by quality? Well, yeah, and and I think that's a a really interesting dynamic between the difference between you know, I guess a, a, a marketer and a sales. Marketers often think about medium to long term goals. Um, sales very, very um, often short term transactional. There's nothing wrong with that. But the conflict comes when you've got people that are viewing things from a different lens. So my lens would be, come on, nurture the relationship. You know, we've got another two projects to sell or we've got another stage. If it's not now, it'll be in six months' time. And then they're like, no, I, I want I want the sale right now. And, and that's where the conflict arises because it's short-term, transactional. That's what makes them really good at what they do. And that's why we're good at what we do because we have the medium to long game and, you know, we're sort of like middle distance or long distance runners versus the sprinters. And, yeah, it's different, different way of And I think too it. when you were talking about, you know, the medium and the long term, making sure that the budget lasts the long term too. Well, in, in an environment where a project is is budgeted to be on market for let's say 12 months it ends up being 18 months and so decisions can become compromised um you know people become very short and you know it it becomes a much harder um situation when a project doesn't sell out in three months and and you you have to find new things to say about a project and compelling things when there are other new projects on the market and then you go to yeah. Mark and he says, oh, hasn't this been around for a while? Yeah, and you've got to find a I new angle. Yeah, after hearing you say that now, I do feel sorry because sometimes you will get press release and it's like, I read this three months ago and that's exactly What's right. What's new? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. Well, there's been lots new that we've discussed here. And um, look, I've really enjoyed today's discussion. So let's, um, you know, reconvene and have another one. We'd love to. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. That's good. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>